Hey, as you came in this morning, you may or may not have noticed that where the coffee is, is, is over there, there are a couple different trays of cupcakes, and that's, that's a little bit different than what we normally have there. Well, they're there because today is our 17-year anniversary as a church. So, yeah, it's pretty cool stuff. And, and today is actually the day of the anniversary, so it works out that Velocity was planted in 2006, so very, very right? Yeah, I did my math right, I think. Somebody can correct me later. It's cool. So make sure you grab a cupcake uh, afterwards. If you didn't grab one on the way in, we'd love for you to uh, eat, eat some of those because I don't want to take them all home, you know? <laughs> no, I, I do, actually. They're U-Crops cupcakes, and, and you know how I feel. But some of you know how I feel about U-Crops, so they're amazing. Um, I don't know about you, and if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to be primarily in Psalm chapter 22 if you want to turn to that text. But um, I, I just want to co- kind of confess something to you this morning. I hate feeling helpless. Um, I would rather, so much so that if I, if I don't know how to do something, I'd rather spend like five hours on Google trying to figure it out rather than ask for help. So if I was working somewhere for a year and, uh, and there were some things I should know I was supposed to do, like I would never reach out to a coworker and ask, ask them how to do something in Excel. Like I just wouldn't do, I would, spend, I would spend like three hours looking by myself trying to figure that out rather than admit that I need help. Is, is anybody like that in here, or, well, willing to admit that they're like that? I don't know. All right, there's three of us we can meet after church and have, have some solidarity. Um, one of the greatest inventions for that, I think, too, is um, there's this website that was developed called Let Me Google That For You. Have you guys used this before? It's great. You've got to look it up. So next time somebody asks you something they could just have found on the Internet, you go to Let Me Google That For You, you type it in, and you, it'll give you a link to send to that person, and it will show them how to actually use, use the Internet. Yeah, it's, it's, it's great. Um, it's very sarcastic, you know, which is perfect. I think, I think it'll be the last time they ever ask you a question, which would, which would be great. Um, sometimes, though, they're just thing, you just don't know what you don't know, and you just can't do what you can't do. And I still hate feeling helpless in those moments, too. Like when you're stranded on the side of the road in your vehicle. There's only but so many things. I mean, maybe there's some warning signs that you could have... I don't, I don't know. I just don't know enough cars to, to be able to diagnose stuff to know that, oh, my car's going to break down. And sometimes it just feels embarrassing even then that you, you didn't really know it was coming. It was gonna, wasn't going to happen, but you're just kind of stuck there. One of the times I felt the most foolish being stranded on the side of the road, I was on my way back from college, and it was, it was late at night. I was on 64. I was driving home, and all of a sudden the car just died. So I'm stuck. I've got to pull over. I'm stuck on the side of 64. Um, nobody stops to help, you know, poor college kid. No, I totally, totally, totally get it. And so I'm there. I have no idea what's wrong with, with the car. Can't get it started. Can't get it going. Uh, so I, I call, thankfully, thankfully, cell phones had been invented at that time. I, I did start off driving without that convenience. For some of you, you're thinking that I don't even understand how that works. But uh, I was able to call my parents and say, hey, I'm, I'm stuck on 64. I'm going to need a, need a tow. And so they were able to look up a tow company and, and connect, connect me with a number. So I'll call the number, and the tow company says, all right, cool. We're available. We're going to come get you. Where are you? I said, I'm on 64 on the side of the road. And they said, well, can, can you be more specific? Said, no. <laughs> I, I don't. Now, I, I, knew, I thought, you know, may, I'm, I'm somewhere past Williamsburg, but that's about it. I mean, as I was driving along, you know, they've got mile markers and stuff like that. I mean, you pass exits, but there's a stretch there that there isn't much there. There, there didn't used to be. And so I just didn't have a clue where I was. I think I'm past Williamsburg. Hey, can you be, you know, what exit did you pass? I don't know. It's been, been forever ago. I wasn't paying attention to that kind of stuff because I wasn't planning to be stranded in the middle of the road. 
So, you know, finally, tow truck does eventually find me. And I'm sitting in the cab, and the car, the car's in the back, and on the, on the tow truck, and we're driving along, and somebody calls in and says, hey, did you ever find that guy? And he's like, yeah. Where was he? He was such and such. And you hear the guy on the other line and kind of laugh, you know. So I'm sitting there and just feel totally, totally dumb, because uh, I, <laughs> I, I, no, I had no clue. That has scarred me. Uh, I still, <laughs> as, as I dra- travel down the interstate, every time I see a mile marker sign, I see that, and I'm like, you know, I kind of twitch a little bit, and I think, oh, <laughs> I got to remember, I got to remember what that is. And then I'm like, oh no, it's okay. I've got a phone, I've got a charger, I've got GPS. I, I, sh- I, should, be, I should be okay. Um, you know, we've been talking about the problem of sin and what the problem of sin actually is and how the transformation of Jesus is so powerful. What, what he does, the incarnation of Jesus, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and, and how it deals with that. And there's so many, so many parallels to this, this feeling, this sense that we get when we're going through life and, and we're just not expecting things to break down. And we end up stranded. We ended up on the side of the road. We had no clue that it was coming out of nowhere. And sometimes we just don't even know how we got there or where we need to go from there. And yet Jesus comes in the form of a man to, uh, to deal with all of those things. Not, not only just to show us the way to go, but enable us to be able to go that way. And it's such an incredible, incredible thing when we, we have the right ideas about what is actually the problem in our life, why we get stuck in those ways, and how God actually deals with those things. It's transformative. It's, it's, it's life-changing. Um, over the past couple weeks, uh, we've talked about how sin is not just a mistake, that it doesn't just even just separate us from God, but it unites us with death. And it creates a whole slew of problems when we think about what life is meant to be like or we think about what we're supposed to be be a part of. This union with death, it corrupts our thinking and living. And so the incarnation of Jesus, God becoming flesh and dwelling among us, is what starts the healing process. That that there's something broken within us that needs to be transformed and changed by the word represented by Jesus. And so we need to be in God's word to become more like him. Last week, we talked about how important it is that we are part of the life-giving community of the assembly of believers that we participate in, not, not just on Sunday mornings, but in small groups as well, by serving one another, uh, living with one another through, throughout the week, so we can share with one another what God has done and is doing in our lives, so that we can be encouraged and strengthened to follow the way of Jesus, because the world around us is not, not conducive to that. The kingdom of God is countercultural to those things, and so we need to be engaged with one another in the church, serving with one another, fellowshipping and friendship with those in the church. Um, that's how this transformation of Jesus, the, the brokenness that sin brings into our life, that's how it's transformed, it's renewed, it's, cha- it's changed. It's through Jesus that we are led to who, that we were, who we were created to be from the very beginning with, with God. And when we're stranded and we forge our own path forward without Jesus, we just end up getting ourselves more stuck, more confused. Um, that's, that's where we find ourselves between the two trees that we've been talking about. The tree at the very beginning in Genesis and the tree at the very end in Revelation. Um, the, the, the very end where God renews all things. And because of that, because we so often forge our own path and get ourselves even more stuck than we were at the beginning, um, that's why we find a tree in between the trees, which is the cross. The cross destroys the power of sin and death over us by Jesus participating in the consequence that we deserve, that he does not. And this breaks us free from death being the final say in the matter to the resurrection, making it merely a transition in our final transformation into a new beginning. And this is why the resurrection of Jesus is so pivotal 
in, in Scripture. That, that as Paul uh, writes his many letters, as he, he talks about these things, he said, look, this, this is the crux of the matter. This is the thing that makes everything new. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, starting in verse 17, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. Without this, we're stuck and helpless, completely unable to redeem ourselves back to God on our own, needing someone else to make it happen for us. And you don't have to look much further than the usual starting point for how we usually handle our own sin. We talked about this a little bit last week in Genesis chapter 3. Adam and Eve's response to their own sin was to do what? It was to go hot. It's to, it's to pretend like maybe nothing happened. Um, they, with their guilt and shame, that, that's, that's what they go, go do. And that's a totally rea- natural reaction that re- we can relate to. Like, I don't want to let people know that I'm helpless. I don't want you to know that about me. I don't, I don't want people to know the stupid things that I've done, the sin that I've committed. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to stand up here and, well, let me give you a list of this past week. You know, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to expose those things. I'm embarrassed. I'm, I'm guilty. I'm, I'm ashamed. Um, and, and sometimes the way that we react to that is, I'll just see how long I can go just by ignoring it. If I don't acknowledge it, if I don't tell anybody else, if I just kind of put it back uh, to, to the side, if I hide it from other people, maybe, maybe the problem will go away. Uh, but it never goes away the way we expect. It would be like us sitting on the side of the road, hoping that no one will stop <laughs> to help us, hoping that no one will notice that we're broken down. Because, well, I don't, I don't know where I am. I don't know what's wrong with my car. Let's think of all the things that, that are wrong with you know, my ability to help myself in this situation. So I don't want anybody to know about it. You're embarrassed because you can't give precise directions to your location. I mean, who does that? But people know you're broken down. You're not hiding anything. They can see you. And if you just keep sitting there on the side of the road, it just gets weirder and weirder. You know, it's one day somebody drives past and says, oh, that, that guy's, you know, he's probably got a cell phone. He's fine. He's broken on the side of the road. He drives by the next day. He still sees you there. Okay, now, now, it's, got, now it's gotten odd. <laughs> he sees you the next day, and he's thinking, maybe I need to stop and check to see if that person's alive or not. And that's, that's kind of what it's like when we don't deal with the problems in our life that God has come through Jesus to deal with. The longer we go, the more we'd have to double down on the lie that our guilt and shame and decision to stay in our sin makes sense. And when we aren't honest about what the problem is, it just hardens our hearts. I mean, that, that's kind of the problem when we don't respond to God through, through Jesus, is that's what happens to us. We just have to double down on our guilt and on our shame. And it just makes us more and more stuck, more and more entrenched in the problem. Other people aren't fooled, because even if they don't know the exact thing, they're feeling the effects of that thing from you. God isn't fooled, but we do end up fooling ourselves. It's like being stranded in the desert and continuing to walk toward a mirage, thinking that it will eventually work in our favor. Oh, if I keep walking to the shimmering thing, like it, it, it'll work, I promise. How, how long you been walking? Still not there. Uh, it causes us to ignore the signs and people we'll see along the way who are trying to point us in the right direction. And so Jesus comes for us so that our dead hearts can be resurrected with life. Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. 
when we finally snap out of it and agree with God that our sin is a problem worse than a mistake, like it does, it does some more things in our life than just, oops, we discover that if we had been able to just admit that we were lost in the beginning and that we needed help then, that it, we could have saved ourselves the heartache of so many, so many obstacles, so many years, so many, so many experiences. We could have saved ourselves the pain of the compounded problems that come along. If we had just been willing to say at the very beginning, oh, man, when it first happened, I need help right now. It's not meant for us to live within regret. Like, that's not the point of us realizing that, but it helps us to understand the power and links that God goes through to redeem our lives, to be in all of that. I mean, sometimes we, we get stuck because we think of ourselves of not being worthy when we really understand what God has done through Jesus, what the incarnation really means, what the resurrection of Christ really means, the sacrifice that he goes through for that to be possible for us to be redeemed back to God. We look at that and we compare ourselves to that our conclusion is going to be, well, I'm not worthy of that. I'm not worthy of that kind of help because of what I've done, decisions that I've made, where my heart is in that moment. Well, I've got something to let you know to help you out with that. You aren't worthy. I mean, hopefully that's a comforting thought for you this morning, and that's, you know, you came to church to be encouraged this morning maybe. But just to let you, you, you aren't. Neither am I. Neither is the person sitting next to you. Neither is anybody else. That's kind of the whole point. Is that, is that none of us can get out unstuck on our own. And that's why Jesus comes. So we're called to, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus enables us to participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I mean, sometimes some people have a really well-developed sense of themselves. Just so you know, you're not as great as you think you are, in, ca in case you don't have anybody that loves you that doesn't tell you that in your life. You're just, you're just not, you're not that great. Um, somebody better than you. Um, some people, they have this underlying sense of lack of self-confidence. They feel unworthy. Um, yeah, that, that's the problem of sin. And, and God came himself to deal with that lack and feeling of unworthiness. That he felt that we were worth it to come and to redeem us back, back to him. This is why everyone's story matters. It's because God changes our ending into a new beginning. What sin had caused to bring, you know, causes the consequences of death, which is meant to be a final thing in our life. God completely redeems and changes and turn it, turns it on its head for it to become something completely different. Even when we're ready to acknowledge that we need resurrection, we participated, you know, symbolically as disciples of Jesus by saying yes. You know, we've been baptized. We participated in that symbolic picture of, of dying to ourselves and being raised, raised to life. There continue to be times in our lives where, because of the consequences of sin and death still at work in the world, that we feel stuck and stranded, perhaps even left alone and abandoned in those moments. And even in this, God gives a consistent reminder that he has never himself hidden from our sin and brokenness. Even though we do that, we try to kind of hide. God knows about it, and he, he still comes right up into it. He doesn't hide from that from us. In the flow of human history, God provides an incredibly massive disruption in the form of the cross, a tree that's taken and reformed into a method of torturous execution. And every time we are confronted with the cross, we're reminded, especially as we share communion together every week as a congregation, we are reminded that God faces our brokenness head on and on our behalf. Um, Jesus even acknowledges this on the cross. One of the final things that he says on the cross as he is hanging there, as he is, as he is dying, as he has been tortured, is he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? 
And, and on its own, this question from Jesus, it raises some really interesting theological questions that people ask and they want to talk about. And, and those are great. But within the context of what these words represent, um, they provide us with a glimpse of how complete God's grace and mercy for us really is. Because when Jesus asks this question, um, it's not just representative of just this question. It's representative of what David writes 600 years plus earlier in Psalm chapter 22. That, yeah, the question is there, and so we get in these moments in our life where we feel stuck, abandoned, stranded, whatever the thing is, and we, so we cry out, um, and, and, and we wonder, like, what, what is the deal here? What, what is happening here? Um, and sometimes we just kind of leave ourselves at the, question, at the question. We don't ask for help. We don't ask for directions. We don't call the tow truck. We don't, we don't, we don't do anything. We don't th- do anything about it. We just kind of sit in the question as if that's the only valid thing that exists in that moment. And yet, Psalm chapter 22 has many, many, many more verses that come along after that. And so while Jesus is describing this feeling of abandonment and separation from God that's brought about by him taking on our sins on his shoulders on our behalf, um, because he was the intervention uh, uh, for for our sin, um, this separation that he's feeling with God is only temporary, and he's changing that for all eternity. Here's the rest, well, not the rest. We'll, we'll read more of it here in just a minute. But here are the first five verses of Psalm chapter 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, but I find no rest. So many people just stop right there, but you've got to keep going. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you, our ancestors put their trust. They trusted you, and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved, and you they trusted and were not put to shame. I mean, you think, think through some of the things that we've talked about through the Old Testament, some of the things that the nation of Israel had, had gone through. I mean, you think, think through some of the times that they were stuck wandering in the desert, literally. They, they actually did that. The interaction that they had uh, w- with God. The reason they found themselves to begin with in that place is because they'd been chasing mirages. They hadn't been asking God for help. They'd been looking everywhere else but him. And we're stuck and stranded on the side of the road or in the desert. There's nothing sufficient other than God. And it's in those moments that if we are willing to turn to him and ask for help, that is where the most transformative work happens and takes place in our lives. We're confronted with acknowledging that we're making a choice of whether or not to place our trust and faith in him or in the work of Jesus or in ourselves or some other thing in life. And Jesus is the only one who can assure, ensure that we're never put to shame for the hope that we have in him to provide the transformation that we need. Christ's obedience repurposes death as a way for us to no longer be separated from God but to be reunited with him. In a couple different ways, physically and spiritually. In 1 Peter chapter 3, uh, in verse 18, Peter writes, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He, he ruined death's reign in this moment through the cross. Death itself has been redeemed. Physical death, uh, the end of our lives... We go to be with the Father. It's no longer an end. It's merely a transition to the transformation that God has wanted for us from the beginning. In spiritual death, not only do we look forward to going to be with the Father, but in the spiritual death that we participate in symbolically in baptism, the Father is now with us. The indwelling 
Holy Spirit, the presence of God is now currently with us now. So it's not even something that we're only looking forward to the future, but something that is now a present, a present reality. In Romans chapter 6, I always read the first seven verses of Romans with anybody who's talking about wanting to say yes, yes to Jesus. Um, Paul writes, For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. And so the consequence of death that sin is meant to have the final say in our lives is now, uh, now just leads to a new life, a new beginning. Redemption of the past scars and wounds you know, those things remained on Jesus' body. That's how his disciples recognized that, that it was him. Uh, they became evidence, though, of God's power and redemption of the past to something that now leads to life versus just death. The best examples we have of the cross being the transformative milestone in between our beginning and the new beginning God wants for us through Jesus are the moments in which we've been stranded and then rescued by God. And it just takes us realizing that we, we need him to move through those things in our life. Um, some of you know that I spent a couple months in, in West Africa on a mission trip uh, when I was in college. And we got stranded so many times on that trip. Uh, roads were bad enough that we had two different times where we, we got double flats. I don't know if you've ever had that happen before, but two tires on the same side of the car go flat. So you imagine, oh, I got one spare. How many spares do you carry with you? So we're sitting on the side of the road multiple times. And one of the times, the coolest time that we got stranded, um, we were driving through uh, to our rainforest uh, on, on our way to somewhere else, and we got stuck right, right in the entrance of the spot. So as you can imagine, there's not a whole lot of things around the rainforest, and, and so the brakes had locked up. We couldn't go anywhere. We're stuck. And so we just kind of wandered in, and uh, there's some shelter there, so we decided we're just going to stay here at night. I guess I was young enough at the time, I wasn't really all that concerned about what was happening. I think about that now, you know, if I had my kids with me, that kind of thing, I'd be thinking about, you know, more than, more than a couple things. Oh, we're just going to, you know, be in a rainforest for the middle of the night for, and have no supplies or anything. We're, we'll, I'm sure we'll be good. Um, it turned into one of my most favorite memories. Um, you know, we're there, what, what else do you have to do? Was, well, somebody, you know, can, can we get a mechanic out here? So we asked, and somebody said, yeah, they can come out here in the morning. So in the meantime, here, we're, we're going to hang out in, in a rainforest. So we started a fire, uh, um, like a good one, like a campfire. Uh, you know, right, okay. Uh, had some guitars, we hung out. Uh, we slept in the shelter. Sky opened up, it was raining, it was crazy, it was amazing. You know, really cool experience. Not at all what we had planned for. Um, that was not, not the goal, to get stuck. We actually wanted to see some other things. That's, that's where we're headed. And yet, uh, one of the most memorable parts of that trip because in that moment, as we're sitting there singing um, worship songs and just being in, in this place, this, you know, natural cathedral of God's wonder surrounding us that we would have never taken the time for to experience on our own. We were headed somewhere else. Um, There's this incredible transformative moment that happened there. It was totally unplanned for us to be broken down. We didn't know that that was coming. We didn't know that we're going to be stranded and stuck. And yet, our, our, our perspective was in that moment connected to whatever, whatever God was going to do in that. I mean, we just didn't worry about what was going to happen next. And part of that was being young and dumb, right? But, but maybe, maybe that's why God wants us to trust him. 
is because in those moments, as, as painful and as much suffering as can exist in, the, in, those, in, in those times, that, that maybe the resurrection that is to come on the other side of that thing will bring us to a place where we will recognize the redemptive power, the work that God does through Jesus in our life, and how it's meant to change what we're going through in that moment and how we feel it, but it, it changes the ending as well. A lot of people treat their lives a lot differently, whether it's pride, whether it's embarrassment, whether it's an unwillingness to confess the need we have for help. It leaves us stranded and stuck. But I, I got to tell you, God already knows that's going to happen, though. And he puts people and he puts places and he puts circumstances in our life to confess those things and those, those things that we need to help us get back on the road. We just have to be willing to ask for help. Confessing our need opens our hearts and our minds to the help God wants us to receive that he's already set in motion for us. Um, if you have an area in, in your life in which you feel stranded or stuck or feel like God has abandoned you, um, you got a choice to make. The choice is kind of sit there, hide it, be alone, not let anybody in, not ask for help. Or there's a path forward when we're willing to say, God, I need you. God, I need the people that you have placed in my life. I, I, need, I, I need Jesus. I need, I need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit that's, that's meant to transform my heart and my mind and, and my life. And, and I, I need the help that you have already started sending my way. Don't go any longer this week without sharing that need with someone in your life. I'd encourage you, maybe somebody sitting right, right next to you this morning, a disciple of Jesus that you can go to and say, hey, I need some help. I need to kind of confess that this is a place in which I feel stuck in my life. And I recognize that I'm not meant to just kind of sit on the road by myself in, in that place. But, but I, I need somebody to walk alongside me to help, help me through this. It might be confession of sin. It might be confession of, you know, circumstance that you're struggling with, a you know, problem in a relationship, uh, whatever that looks like. Just, just don't go further than the, this week. You know, I get maybe you've been sitting there for a long time and it kind of feels like, oh man, it's going to be really weird to tell somebody about this. But man, um, it feels so much better once you have started on that path to getting, to getting back. That if you're willing to share that, confess that need, um, this is how God does his transformative work. And we're able to look at that thing in the past as maybe just, a, maybe just an example of how God has provided as we're being transformed by Jesus from death to life, our assumptions about the, what the end result of what God is doing in and around our lives, it begins to change. And even when we're stranded and feel like we're wandering in the desert and we're too embarrassed to ask for help, when we begin to acknowledge that we need God to come get us or to lead us through, that, that as we cry out to him, um, it isn't even something he's been waiting on to act on, but it's something that he's been waiting on us to, to acknowledge and recognize that he's already mobilized. That, that he's already begun the process that is for our benefit through Jesus. And that we will be all the better for it as we lay our unworthiness and our insecurities and ignorance at the foot of the cross. Confess that we need the work of Jesus on the cross to break our union with death. And begin to see on the horizon not, not the mirage that has kept us unaware and distracted of where we are, but a clear picture of who God is reforming us to be. I just want to read one chunk the last chunk of Psalm chapter 22. I just want to remind you that it starts off with this question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And how this ends. And some of you even remember that in Psalm chapter 23, what, what that has to, has to say. He's talking about God as, as, as the good shepherd. But just listen to the last, last several verses of Psalm chapter 22. You who fear the Lord, praise him. 
All you descendants of Jacob, honor him. Revere him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfill my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him, for dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him, those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. He has done it. No longer any victory or sting in death because God has done it. He's transformed our death into life through the work of the cross to the start of a new beginning when we agree with him that we are in need of his redemption and resurrection. He's done it. Let's pray. God, um, and so, so, much of, um, so much of how we respond to you and, and recognize what you, what you have done and what you want to do in our lives is just, just us kind of get, getting in, in, in the way and not, not being willing to ask for help. And so, God, we, we come for you. We, we, we understand that we are not worthy. We, we understand that we come to you broken and that, that we need you. God, help us to, help us to just be willing to, to say that and admit that and recognize that and then be able to see what you're doing to help us through that, to become transformed into the new creation that, that you always had created us to be in the first place. God, help us to pursue the way, the way of Jesus. That even as we, as we do that, and sometimes we break down and get stuck on the, on the side of the road, that um, you, you've already provi- provided a way for us to get back up and on our feet and, and to go. That you are, are there, right there with us, even when we're broken down, the indwelling of your Holy Spirit, as we disciple our, ourselves to Jesus. God, we just ask that you give us the wisdom to see that. We ask that you give us the courage to, to con- confess that need for help to those who are around us, who, who love us and want to be there for us. God, help us to just be willing uh, to take and move through some of that pride and that embarrassment to um, be able to accept the grace that you are already trying to extend our way. God, we praise you for this. We honor you for this. And in, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.